Hey guys, welcome everyone. I loved that song, that song, I should say, put to music. I want to get that in my head because whew, we were in the ER last night and I could have had something to sing. That was awesome. <sighs> anyway, I don't know if you guys have had one of those weekends or one of those weeks, but it's so encouraging. See, my voice is all crazy today. But so encouraging just to come here, see you guys, worship with you guys, hear this scripture. So bear with me. I'm kind of reading all shaky and weird today, but that's just life, right? Okay, so we're on uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 16. If you want to take a second to find that in your Bibles or if you do it through your phone, or it's right behind me too. So it's 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 5.10. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know. Sometimes when you read the scripture, you get emotional, people. If you see me in Bible study, you know. <sighs> we know that while we are at home <clears throat> in the body, we are away from the Lord, for, by, for we walk by faith. <sighs> you guys are going to remember the scripture. <clears throat> Not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body. <clears throat> And at home with the Lord. Oh my gosh, I'm thinking maybe I should have my husband come and read this right now. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. That's the word of the Lord. 
I'm going to sit, listen to Nick, just cram eyeballs out. Um, if you're visiting with us, as you can see, we're in 2 Corinthians, and it's about our eighth week through a series called Authenticity. You can't get more authentic than that. <laughs> Thanks for being real. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the immense comfort that we have in your word and in your Son, whom you've given to us. We ask that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to understand your word, that we might cling to Jesus, walking not by sight, but by faith alone. Help us to leave our inauthenticity behind and to be authentic in Christ. Amen. Well, uh, my high school football coach, he used to always say, time is fleeting. That was like his thing, his motto. Time is fleeting. After every practice, time is fleeting. We debrief a game, and he would say those words right after the game. We're all sitting there. It could have been, we could have won, we could have lost, it didn't matter. He would always say, come back, time is fleeting. And then again, our, our senior walk around the football team, Field, the very last time we got to go around that field. I wasn't very good, by the way. It's not like I was a football star or something. So don't think fantasy, weird stuff like that, that I was so good. I was really bad. Okay. Uh, but, you know, we, we did our walk. And he said, of course, those last words, time is fleeting. He, of course, knew that time was fleeting. He was uh, going for uh, the NFL, and he didn't quite make the cut. He got really far. Um, but he knew Time was fleeting, and so he, his intent was to make that known. That was his motto that he wanted every player that went on the football field to take into life with them, that time is fleeting. Uh, others have taught that message, too. We can think of Muse, who, who sings that song, Our Time is Running Out. Our time is running out. No? Anybody? All right. Or, if you're into the oldies, but goodies, uh, Fleetwood Mac has that famous song, Landslide. Can I sail through changing ocean tides? Can I handle the seasons of my life? Well, I've been afraid of changing. Because I built my life around you. Come on, you, you know. But time makes you bolder. Even children get older, and I'm getting older too. All right. Little Fleetwood. It's a hard thing, though, to get older, isn't it? Um, it can be hard to cope with change. I took our, our, our two older boys a few days ago to see their nana, papa, and cousins, spent a little bit of time with them over the summer, and, uh, and they had a great time. And, but as I'm driving through all these different towns that I used to know so well, they're changing, you know? People change and places change. New highways are there, old highways are gone. Um, things, things change. And so getting older can be a discouraging news for, for people who hope you know, in messages like, you know, back in my day when I was a football star. Or, or back in my day when I was home, uh, was it homecoming queen? Or, or I was the best in my class, or I was the best in my field looking back at our careers. And, you know, the thing about living in the, in the glory days is that time is fleeting. We can't stop it. 
We can't unwind that clock. It just keeps clicking and ticking forward. And so the Apostle Paul was getting older, and he had a pretty broken, and by all worldly standards, uh, it looked like a pretty unsuccessful ministry that he had. And so we might expect for him to respond by all the change that he sees looking around the way that most people do, either with despair or with apathy. You know, I kind of I gave it a good run. It was the best I could do and had a nice run. But do you know what he says? He doesn't, he doesn't go into despair or apathy. He says this, if you look at verse 16. He opens, so we do not lose heart. And losing heart's a, a way of saying that we don't lose motivation. We keep pressing on and moving forward. Like he said earlier at the start of the chapter, chapter 4, verse 1, he said, therefore having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Again, twice, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. And I mean, how can, when you look at just the difficulties that life brings, being in the ER last night, look at the, the hardship that we face. How could Paul say that with confidence in a world that is changing all the time, with circumstances that are fluctuating? How do we hope for what's ahead? Maybe when what's behind was so good, you know, and as much as we try, we can't get it back. Maybe that's you today, that you're stuck on, on someone or something in the past, and you're stuck there, trying to recreate it, trying to relive it. Well, today, God wants to give you two things from his word this morning, two things that he gave to Paul, and through Paul's words to us this morning that he can give us. The first thing is uh, perseverance. Perseverance, and I want to talk about that in a minute. And the second is perspective. So if you can remember those two things, perseverance and and perspective, Uh, those are the two gifts God wants to give you this morning. So perseverance. God promises all who come to him to give you perseverance. Perseverance. No matter what you're going through, no matter how hard it is today, he, he promises hope for tomorrow. So let's look at the reasons why he believes this. Verse 16. He says, So we do not lose heart. Though our outer, outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Verse 18. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so his, his present life is not shaped by his past, but is fixated on the future before him. And so he's not going back trying to relive uh, the good old days when he was a Pharisee or when he had received the best training that he could possibly receive from uh, the greatest theologian of his time, which he did. He's not going back to some fond childhood memories. Instead, Paul is clinging to a hope that's fixed on the future. And to know what the future will look like, I think we have to remember what was said last week in verse 14. So if we can go back to last week, if you still have your Bibles open, look at verse 14. Uh, Paul had quoted Psalm 116, which was a psalm that David wrote and that, that, that foretold of this time of a future resurrection. Of course, that was Jesus. And he says this, and Paul quotes it. Pointing ahead to Jesus, he said, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. That's where Paul gets his confidence from, in the resurrection 
of Jesus as Lord. And so he can face temporary changing afflictions and upsets and difficulties because of that secure future that was set up through Jesus to be with Jesus, to be with Christ. We see that later in this passage. He's just so fixated on that future, so hopeful because of that future, that what happened to the crucified Jesus by him being raised from the dead, that that would happen to Paul too and to all of his hearers, everyone who's listening to that message and believes in that message. And that the church would, as we just sang that beautiful psalm, Psalm 23, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That that was his fuel, that was his hope. You can't, you can't lose heart with a message like that. You can't become discouraged about the little trivial things in life when the best is yet to come. And so we have, in our passage, we have a ton of metaphors used. And, and he, he, he likes to do... Uh, uh, he likes to use opposites. So we see um, in verse 16, he compares our outer self with our inner self. Verse 17, we look at that and he says, the, the momentary is compared with the eternal. In verse 18, the seen, what we see with our eyes, with the unseen, what we can't see, what we can't gaze upon with our eyes. And so all these opposites are used to contrast the way that people normally live with the way that God is calling us to live in this world. I think most people live not with the hope that we're going to live in the house of God forever, but that with the hope that we're just going to live forever. You kind of get that sense when you're talking to people that, you know, they're guaranteed another day. And um, outer self, external beauty or muscle, uh, or that expensive uh, purse I own, or that expensive car I drive, that matters more than what's on the inside in our culture. Power is also very appealing in our culture. And, and people don't like to talk about death. Um, we don't say that somebody died. We don't say that. We say somebody passed away or they passed on. Um, as if somehow that softens the blow of death. And it's sunny... It's sunny uh, Southern California, I can't remember the last time that I looked and I saw a graveyard. I mean, really, I'm trying to think of all the places I've been all over San Diego County. I don't see a graveyard very often. Have you seen a graveyard? I see Starbucks. Man, there's two new Starbucks popping up. No graveyard. I see shopping centers, shopping malls, all kinds of cool stuff, but not graveyards. Um, you see it in Disney movies a little bit here and there. Uh, Coco talked about death quite a bit in afterlife, uh, but where I grew up, uh, we had one down the street from the school I went to, and so, you know, every time, you know, taking the school bus or my grandma was taking me to school, there's that graveyard. <laughs> I mean, if you live in the Midwest or, you know, East Coast, I mean, the graveyards are plentiful, right, but not, not so much in Southern California. Paul says our outer self is wasting away. I mean, he's not shying from talking about death, and anybody growing older knows kind of what that feels like, you know? It's like, man, my joints are starting to ache and hurt. I'm getting a little creaky. I need, like, where's the tin man? I need to oil up. My joints hurt. Um, but see, uh, today, everyone's trying to hide from death or escape it by not thinking about it. Because to be young is to be beautiful. Uh, so we put on, slap on the anti-aging cream and do the Botox injections, which I guess don't hurt, right? I don't know. I haven't tried one. But just saying. 
uh, and we work out, we tan, we do whatever it is to try to hide the fact that at some point we're getting older and every one of us dies. And let me tell you, with that reality, you will lose heart and you will be discouraged of that news if you don't have a future with God in Christ. But if you come to trust in Jesus today, you can have hope for tomorrow. And that future hope begins to renew you on the inside and shapes, as Paul says in verse 17, all afflictions as light. I mean, it's, it, it, it's no small thing for him to say that about our afflictions. Paul suffered greatly. Last week we heard a whole plethora of things, all the different ways that Paul went through many sufferings. Didn't have his best life now. Worst life for sure. And he had hope. And so even afflictions become momentary when you, when you believe in the one who has power over time itself. Suffering is fleeting in the hands of the one who suffered for us and died for us and rose again. And so to a really bad diagnosis from the doc, uh, to a really bad breakup or heartache, to failed dreams and longings, to job loss, plans changing you didn't anticipate, you couldn't expect, you didn't want, they happened to you, all of that Paul can say because of the hope of the resurrection, this light, not heavy, light, momentary affliction, bleeding, passing, all affliction we face has an end point. And he says that you can endure it because God will give you perseverance through it. And so if you're going through a hard time right now, are you? Do you face unbearable weight in some area right now? Mounting pressure, physical or emotional pain? Exhaustion? Maybe you're just tired? Work? Parenting? You're tired. That'll pass. God will give you perseverance through it. Uh, back in 19... I'm sorry, not 19, 1789, so this is, this is way back, this is going back. Anybody know Ben Franklin? Not personally, but you know. <laughs> Bob, you know Ben Franklin? <laughs> he said this, he said, our new constitution is now established and has an appearance that promises permanency. But in this world, nothing can be certain except, you know this, death and Taxes. Those are the two certainties, guarantees of life. Death and taxes. Ha ha, funny. He was right. Um, those things are certainly certain. And uh, verse 18, we're told uh, not to look at things that are seen, though, but are unseen. And so there's one thing that old Ben didn't quite get right. Um, that he said, uh, there's one thing that we can be certain of that Ben himself did not believe in. And that's because it can't be seen. This truth is not self-evident. It's a truth that God gives. And so let's look at verse 5, five one, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. He says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For this tent we, in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we're still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we should be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who's given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Fist pump, Elaine. There it is. It's out there. Uh, you probably noticed more opposites and contrasts. Paul uh, himself being a, a tent maker by trade. 
So using tent, no small thing there. He made tents to support himself, keep, keep himself doing ministry uh, without needing money while he's church planning. And ironically, he uses tent here, um, and he compares it to a house that can't be destroyed. The tent's our body, and then he says that we don't want to be found naked. Now, what's that about? Uh, well, nobody ever wants to be caught naked. That's pretty obvious, right? Isn't one of like the, 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 the greatest um, social fears that you have a, a public speaking engagement and you have to get up front and you know, you're so worried about reciting your speech, you get up there and you forgot your pants, right? Isn't that like the greatest, one of the, like worse than de- fear of death, like isn't as, as great as that fear of public speaking? It's really strange. I'm like, it's not that hard. Come on, you could, you could say something. Man. Um, but yeah, that's nakedness. So nakedness calls us back to uh, the beginning of the Bible where Adam and Eve uh, were created. And then the, uh, the Bible says that they were naked and they were unashamed. And as we're reading that narrative, we're reading that story, we find out that they were naked and ashamed, right? There's that big shift there. Nakedness becomes shameful. Shame's associated with being uncovered, being caught, being found out because of God's law. And God, is, God is holy, and they sinned, and they were no longer holy. They couldn't be in his presence. And we need something better than fig leaves to cover ourselves up for what we do to people and what we've done to God. And so from the beginning of the Bible all the way to the end of it, again and again we're told that God has provided, and he continues to provide, even now, clothes to those who are naked and ashamed. To be clothed in the image of Jesus Christ. To be clothed in the body and blood of his precious son. We put on his obedience. We put on his sacrifice. And, and, and through all of that, God accepts us as children. Beloved by God. Jesus is the better second Adam who we need. And so Paul's use of that contrast here, this outer versus inner self, tent versus home, permanent, temporary, all that language is to highlight something very true about ourselves. That truth is not that we have bad bodies and we just need uh, to escape our bodies and get good souls, like the ancient Greeks and all their philosophical debates. Jay can tell you all about it after the service if you're interested. Um, you know, they all got caught up in all that, that, that crazy dualism. But the truth is that in Adam, we are lost, and in Christ, we are found again. The old way of doing things won't work anymore. We need to be renewed and recreated. We need a different way of approaching God, of relating to him, not on the basis of our works, but on the basis of what Christ has done for us already. And so we need to be clothed by Jesus. We need our, our mortal body to put on the in, immortal, incorruptible flesh of God in Christ. And, and we can have hope today by believing in this message, this gospel message of Jesus. For all those who believe, God gives as a gift, as I said, perseverance, but, but his gift of the Spirit as a guarantee. It's guaranteed. Not going to be taken away. It's a, it's a sealed promise of future glory, future hope, future resurrection that shapes your present now. And it's why you'll persevere. Uh, the second gift that God gives is perspective. I mentioned that. That's our second point, last point. So verse uh, 416, Paul told us we don't lose heart. Building on that hope, in chapter 5, verse 6, he says, 
He shares this. He says, so we're always of good courage. Verse 6, we're always of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. You've probably heard that before. Yes, we're of good courage. And we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So he says, be of good, good courage. What does that mean? Be hope-filled. Be hopeful about the future. How can we be courageous and hopeful, as Paul was, when there are circumstances in our life that are unbearable, uncontrollable, or simply unfair? I mean, how, how, how can we be okay with that? Um, if, you, if you want to be always full of good courage, as Paul was, then you need a change in perspective. Your perspective has to change. I'm not talking about some new uh, discovery in psychology today. Um, I'm not talking about a new way of meditation or anything like that. Uh, There's no trendy fad for this. What you need is to see everything, your life, your death, your hardship, your temptations, your trials, your sufferings, your afflictions, your best days, your worst days, every day. You need to see everything in light of eternity. I will never forget uh, this sermon that I heard many years ago. It's by a pretty fiery guy. And he said this. He said, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. It's pretty visual. Uh, He was reading uh, the Puritans. He was reading uh, Jonathan Edwards, who first said it, I think. And he said, so he was quoting him, and he said, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeballs. And then he wrote, where will all our worldly enjoyments be when we are laid in the silent grave? I remember, uh, it's like a trip down memory lane, but uh, I remember uh, talking to a, a friend of mine. We, were, we just heard our, our uh, youth group pastor. He was talking about uh, the end times, and uh, my friend grabbed his mom's car keys while every, all the parents and stuff were chatting and doing whatever parents do, right? They're just in there. So we're going to go out in the car and talk. What did you think about what that pastor guy said? Oh, yeah. What did he say? Uh, we were talking about what he said, and I remember my friend saying to me, he said, yeah, dude, I want uh, Jesus to come back. That'd be great. But, you know, I, I got to get married first. I want to have some kids. You know, I think I want to do my career thing for a while. And, you know, and, and, and as he's sharing this and opening up his heart, I was going... At first, the pious answer, nah, I want Jesus to come back now, I'm ready. And then it was like, yeah, you got a point, I'd like to get married too, that would be good, and you know, I'd like to do these other things too, and yeah, you know, I want to play some video games or football or whatever it is, you know. Got hopes and dreams, so, you know, what's, if, what, and it's eternity, you know, God can wait a little bit. That's, you know, young self thinking all that. And, and my friend really, though, he spoke for everyone, that, that we want eternity later rather than sooner. We typically do. But the way that Paul thought and the way that he hoped was eternity sooner rather than later. Now rather than later. He'd rather be dead and with Christ than alive and in his body, as he, as he says in our passage. And, and, and all this talk about being away from the body is where we get uh, the doctrine of the intermediate state. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. I just want to explain what that is really quickly. The Bible teaches that when Christians die, their souls go immediately into Christ's presence and are at home with the Lord, as Paul says, while their bodies face decay. 
When Jesus returns, the bodies of believers will be raised from the dead and reunited with souls, body and soul reunited at the return of Christ, the final resurrection. But God changes our perspective. He gives us faith to walk by, not by eyesight. He gives us faith. So all of his opponents, the super apostles, we're going to learn all about those guys later in 2 Corinthians, these super apostles. But these guys, they didn't talk about death and dying, as we sang in Psalm 23. They didn't want to talk about that. They, were, they went for much happier and uplifting positive messages. And people just ate that up, man. They loved that stuff. Crowds would form. People loved it. It was positive, uplifting. Like our culture, we walk by sight, not by faith. We want to see a bigger house, a hotter spouse, a newer car, a better life measured by more fans, more clicks, more money, more cash. Show me the money, baby. More success. All of that can be calculated, measured, counted. It's about results. But the Bible calls us back to walking by faith, not by what we see, not by sight. He wants us to live by what we can't see, not what we see in front of us. And it's not focused on results like we are. It's not focused on beauty or popularity or fame like we are. And it talks a lot about death all throughout the Bible. And what we find here, though, is not despair, but hope. Hope. We find a consistent message that death and dying don't have the last word on us. They don't have a hold on us anymore. They're subject to the risen Lord who was raised from the dead, and in him we have victory. In him we have hope. As he was raised, so too will we be raised. That gives us a great change in our perspective. Shifts it entirely. And so we can move from being those focused on pleasing ourselves and living for our best life now to being people who want to please Jesus, as Paul writes, verse 9. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. And that's an authentic life. I want to please Jesus. And probably the most significant perspective changer in all of, all of history happens because of what Paul is going to say next. I'm going to read this, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what's due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. And what this means is that each one of us is ultimately accountable for the life that we live. Everything that we do, we say, we think, how we live, how we don't live, we're accountable to God. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. I'm going to read 12 through 15. And if not, if you're taking notes, write that down. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. You know, when we're, when we're trying to make sense of something very difficult, something, a difficult passage, we need to look at other passages in Scripture. So I want to read this. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So, I mean, there, there's going to be a day where we have to own up for how we lived each day, and God will evaluate our, our, our works, everything we've done in the body. 
Not for salvation, we're, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, but it will reveal what we did with everything we received from God. Now, that's a really frightening thing to think about. <laughs> Look back, I've only been alive for a short amount of time, and I've done some messed up stuff. But it doesn't have to be a frightening thing. If we live like Paul has been urging for in this letter, he wants us to live authentically. He wants us to live lives of authenticity. Paul is confident because he's made it his purpose, not to please himself, but to please God and his apostle, as a church planner, as someone living before God, before these brothers and sisters in Christ, the Corinthian church. And he's calling them to live the same way, to live truthfully, to live honestly. And so, I mean, if you're a believer, live like a believer, man. Don't hide that truth. Um, you know, read your Bible, pray, share the gospel with others. Find out what you believe, why you believe it. Ask questions. Take a discipleship class. We start at Redemption University, take a class for that. Learn more about what you believe and why. The applause of people is not the final judge God is. Success, work, parenting, or life. Uh, all of that is not the judge God is. God sits over all of us as the final judge. This is what it's teaching. And it's not bad news right now. Today it's good news because the same God who in Christ suffered before the judgment seat of a man named Pontius Pilate in the first century now stands as ruler and judge over everyone, over all creation. And today this is the judge who's the God who was made to be sin so we might become the righteousness of God. This is the God who, who so loved that he gave his one and only son for us. This is the God, so John 3.16, uh, Galatians 2.20, the God who, um, who loved us and gave himself for us. The gospel says that Jesus was judged for me so I would be approved and not be found wanting. I don't come out short in Christ because he measured up perfectly. And so in Jesus, the one who himself loved us, even to the point of death, is the one who gives us the final verdict of life in him. And so to everyone who's repented, that means that you've had a change in perspective. The way that you look at all the things that you've done in the past or present that are wrong and messed up and wrong before God and neighbor, you say, I don't want to, I don't want, I don't want to do that anymore. You turn from that sin. You believe in Jesus. You trust in him with your life. Change in perspective. You no longer want to sin anymore. God says to you, in Christ, you're forgiven. You're no longer under condemnation. You're set free. You've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, but Christ lives in you. You have that guaranteed promise. He gives you that spirit. And so in closing, God wants all of us to prepare for a future that we can't see. By believing with our, our, but by believing with our ears, we can hear this message. We can know the message that, you know, time is fleeting, as my old football coach said, surely is. Time is ticking. But the gospel says God promises to give us perseverance to get us to that future that he has made, that he's made for us in Christ. And he gives us a new perspective so we can live each day for the glory of him, not ourselves, not pleasing ourselves, pleasing him. Each day for his glory and for our good. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for the hope of the resurrection. Lord, we see so much decay around us, so much death, so many discouraging things, so much bad news. Father, fill us with hope, hope of a future resurrection through your Son that we'd be dwelling with you in the house of God forever. We ask that that hope would reorient our lives today, giving us perseverance through difficult days, through good days too, staying hopeful, staying firm, fixated on that future. We ask too, Lord, that you would give us a new perspective shaped by your resurrection in Christ, that that would guide our decisions, that would guide what we do with our time, our money, our talents, our bodies. Father, we walk not by sight but by faith and we cling to the promises found in your son Jesus. Amen.